This is the Mooks and the Gripes podcast. Hello, everybody. I'm Trevor, presently Paul. <laughs> oh, there he is. Hey, Paul. Here I am. Hey. <laughs> I'm, I will be here presently. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I am, I'm here. Uh, I, hope, I hope everybody is having a good time wherever you are and whenever you're listening to this. It is Saturday morning, May 14th for us. And you know what that means, Paul? We have a giveaway to announce in this episode. We'll do it here in a few minutes, um, but I am excited. And uh, Jackie just barely emailed us her entry, you know, <laughs> this morning when we woke up that was there. So slipping in right under the the wire there, as she as she admits in her in her um, in her email, and 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 I think she sent us a, a, a DM on Twitter or something saying, "Oh, I got it in, I got it in." Maybe, <laughs> maybe, maybe not. <laughs> it's a very valid strategy. Come in late and strong. Yeah, so we'll get to that here. We'll get to it before we get to our main topic. Um, after you know, kind of in the middle of all this preliminary thing is what I'm thinking. Um, but to just let you know what we're going to be doing today. We are going to be talking about our dustiest books. In other words, the books that have sat on our shelves unread the longest. This is a suggestion from listener Jerry Faust. Loved getting your emails, Jerry, on various things, both as you know comments and entries. Uh, we definitely welcome that from everybody, and we welcome suggestions for topics. Now, Padma suggested the Comfort Reads episode, and that was a whole lot of fun. I was. Jerry recommended this one. And here's kind of what he said. First off, thank you very much. He says, I hope you're recovering from your recent bout with COVID and feeling better every day. Yes, I feel, I think I feel back to normal pretty much. I get a little tired maybe, but that could just be me. <laughs> right. It's <laughs> just know, having kids. It, it doesn't feel too much different from the way it used to feel. Maybe I use it now as an excuse like, oh, I am sure getting tired today. <laughs> <laughs> better go lay down and read for a while. But I am feeling a lot better and hopefully, I hopefully sound better than I did in that last episode. I didn't know I had COVID um, when we recorded that. That was that was something I tested positive for the next day on that Sunday. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, even though the day before I'd felt pretty awful and tested negative, but yeah, yeah, that's what I was battling. But he says, I know you haven't asked for show suggestions. And I wrote him back and said, actually, we're, we are asking now, you know, um, mm-hmm. but I was wondering if you and Paul might consider a show about books that are owned. Uh, in other words, purchased um, a while back, but you haven't read yet. I have several books that I've owned for a decade or more, but I just can't make myself read them. And I continue to acquire more all the time. I don't, I don't know. I don't know what he's talking about there. Yeah, I can't relate at all. <laughs> I've heard you reference long-owned but unread books on the show, so perhaps an episode could assuage the guilt felt by many avid readers in this situation. Yeah, well, we'll that's what we're here for. You know, some little bit of book talk therapy today that's to right. help people get over that guilt. Um, and, and I actually, I mean, I say that a little bit tongue-in-cheek, but I kind of mean it too. I mean, I think I've tried really hard for the last several years, but on this podcast and such to have an approach that is exciting to me, to books and reading, I've tried to take away some of the negativity and guilt or, or quotas or anything like that and mm-hmm. just enjoy what is there while still maybe making goals. We talked about this in our, in our goal episode, you know, for 2022, I still find goals are very helpful and and healthy for me because they give me that excitement of the future. And, but if I can balance that excitement with also, you know, diminishing guilt when I can't make that goal or don't want to anymore, that seems to be a nice little balance there. But, but yeah, there are definitely some books on my shelf that are dusty, that are haunting me, 
we'll go over those here in a bit. Absolutely. <laughs> How about you, Paul? <laughs> oh, for sure. It was kind of fun to go through. And, and we've talked about those kind of blind spots on your shelf where your eyes are, when you're scanning to look for a new book, sometimes you'll just kind of skip over like two feet. <laughs> At least I do. And yeah, I started to like, I better like shine a flashlight back there and see what's hiding. And <laughs> it, it was really fun. And there's some, I mean, most of the ones that I'm going to bring up today, it's not for lack of interest. And that's what mm-hmm. gets intriguing. Like, why have I not read these? Well, on that line, yeah, I, I call my bookshelves a lot and I've gotten rid of many books. I mean, there are books that would be on this list uh, that I've had even longer than some of the books that I will bring up today, but I got rid of them eventually because I realized I'm not I'm not going to read that. I, I, I may have on my shelf this book that I feel like I should read, but if after this many years, I'm still not sure I'm going to and I'm acquiring more that I'm more excited about, mm-hmm. I have to make some room for it. Um, and so I have culled a lot of these books, but the ones that are on here that I'm going to talk about today are, are still on my bookshelves because I'm going to read it someday, you know, wink, wink. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) But, uh, but yeah, so that's not because I'm just no longer interested. Um, but do do you know what else is funny over this last week? I've read like two or three memes about this where someone, there's that part. Do you, did you ever watch the office, the American office? Yeah. Yeah. If I have. There's the part where Jim is giving Dwight kind of a hard time about how long it's going to be until he has to bunker down and like use his food storage or something like that. And he's mm-hmm. like, was it going to be a month? Could be. Two months? It's possible. Uh, four months. Yeah, that can see that being the, you know, it kind of keeps going. Yeah. And someone put that to a meme on on Instagram, I think is where I saw it, where it's like, so you just bought this book. Are you going to read it in a month? Maybe <laughs> two months. That's possible. You know, it kind of goes through that, that thing. And I'm like, okay, we all have been there. Oh, absolutely. And there was another one too, that I saw that someone, um, someone posted that, that I, that I kind of snagged just to say, Hey, this is clearly not, it's not us. You know, this is not, not something that, that is a problem for us is me. I need this book immediately. I would rather starve than not have it right now. Also me doesn't read it for two years. <laughs> well, me, you may get to where uh, doesn't read it for a decade or more is, is, you know, more, more likely because every one of the books I'm bringing up today, that's how it was. It was like, I got to go and get that. Mm-hmm. And then I, they're still sitting there. <laughs> oh, I know. I mean, we've talked about that a little bit, like just the whole idea of you want to order it right away. Like my, our joke kind of joke about me walking down to the mailbox and checking it regularly that, I keep doing, but then, yeah, like we said, sometimes that book that I've been <laughs> religiously checking on, it gets here and then it sits on my shelf and it's like, maybe it's a couple months or maybe it's a couple years later. It's funny how that psychology works. Mm-hmm. We'll have to do an episode on what are the ones where they do come in the mail and you will drop everything because I'm mm-hmm. waiting for a book, the the, the forthcoming uh, Cesar Ira, mm-hmm. um, what is it, the Famous Magician, something like that. I haven't, you know, I just know it's a Cesar Ira book and they have sent it to me. I see the tracking and it's still sitting in New York. It was, uh, it was picked today's May 14th. It says it was the, everything was there on May 10th and it's still sitting there in New York. So, mm. but when that comes, I don't, but it's short, you know, it's easy just to say, well, I'm, you know, whatever I'm reading is going to be put aside for a few hours. Right. But yeah, that's, that's definitely one that I've never, I don't ever, I've never waited on a book by Ira, but mm-hmm. there are plenty others that I wait on. Right. Um, <laughs> but maybe before we get too far into that, what have you been reading? 
Yeah, I have been reading um, a few different things. I have been revisiting our friend Roddy Doyle. I don't know how much you've time you've spent with him, but he's somebody that I have enjoyed off and on over the years, but it's been quite a while since I've read anything by him. And so I picked up his short story collection called Bullfighting, which is another one I've had for years, actually. Um, <laughs> I just am enjoying being back. He's so good at dialogue and conversations in particular. And it helps that he has, you know, all the accents and it's it's a very Irish feeling, but it's often just two guys sitting at, at the pub, just talking about politics or family or whatever. And he's just so good at that of there's lots of humor mixed in, but then a lot of times it's very poignant as well. And this collection is definitely both of those things. It's funny, but the focus of this particular one is largely men who are going through middle age. So, you know, there was some parts that were maybe resonating with me for sure, but um you know, it's, it's set all over the place, mostly in Ireland, but there's even one that goes off into Spain, which thus the, the title bullfighting. But the way that it's described is um, features an array of men taking stock and reliving past glories, each concerned with loss in different ways of their place in their world, of their power, virility, health, and love. So, you know, it's, it's really, you know, just fun. Like I said, it's been probably five or six years since I've read anything by him. It's just nice to there's 13 stories and I've just been kind of dipping in and out. And I've, this is one that I've actually been listening to the audio while reading just because I knew with the Irish accents that it always adds <laughs> to that dialogue, a little bit of depth and, and fun to, to hear them read it. So yeah, I've been reading and enjoying that one. Um, another one that I've been reading is actually one that we talked about on our 2022 preview episode. And that's Ooh. Jeff Meyer's new one, the last days of Roger Federer. And I think I had jokingly said something, you know, like, will Jeff Dyer be able to get me interested in a sports book? Right. <laughs> um, and I'm, you know, maybe, I don't know, a hundred pages in and there's definitely some sports a little bit so far, but as I predicted, it's, it's not really about sports. It's about endings and age and, you know, how different artists and athletes and, and other people deal with that. You know, some people, it, their strongest work comes towards the end. Other people, they reach a peak earlier in their career and they, chase it for the rest of their lives and never quite get there. And so, yeah, I mean, it's really, it's really good. It's in true Jeff Dyer fashion. It's kind of, you know, it meanders and wanders and it's divided into these really short little sections and there's general themes that run through, but often it'll, you know, they're numbered sections and it'll jump around quite a bit. You know, there's mm -hmm. been a lot so far about Nietzsche and, um, but then there's like Bob Dylan and, you know, like I said, in typical Jeff Dyer fashion, just like his book about D.H. Lawrence, you know, it's like he mm -hmm. has a topic that he's going to write about and he ends up writing around it. But then by the end, you're like, no, actually, that did. I learned a lot about D.H. Uh, Lawrence. <laughs> exactly. I just it happened while I wasn't paying attention. So anyway, yeah, so far, so good. Really enjoying that. It's nice to to be back because I've always loved his work and just mm -hmm. he has such an interesting mind. Um, I will say I don't know if it's my perception of him or if he's he's always had that little bit of a, an edge to him a little bit cranky and this one so far i would definitely say he's got some <laughs> bristly passages which is kind of depending on your mood it can be fun but i can see how it could be off-putting to some people but yeah anyway been enjoying that and then i don't know if we have a drum roll effect but if we do now is the time that we need Ooh. to institute it because i'm going to make you and quite a few other people very happy with my next choice i am reading no no it's happening 
It's happening. Okay. Yes. <laughs> and then there were none by Agatha Christie. <laughs> oh, that makes me happy. Yeah. <laughs> Hopefully, uh, because it's making you happy. <laughs> it is. It's so much fun. It's it's great. I I really am. I'm loving it. I this whole, all along, as I said, this whole oppositional stance was very much just for fun. I mean, I was never worried about that I wouldn't enjoy her or anything like that. And and yeah. anybody who was worried about my relationship with my parents, I actually even borrowed the copy from my parents. <laughs> was it a great reunion? It was. Yeah. They, they were weeping and yeah. No, no, they were just like, Oh yeah, here. Sure. And so, you know, already I'm just loving it. I'm probably about halfway through and, and so many mm. people have talked about how it's just so perfectly crafted and, and you can see it's, it's obvious impacts on so mm-hmm. much that has followed in its wake. But um, yeah, it's, I'm just really enjoying it. It's not only the structure of it, but what I've been surprised by, I think in my head, maybe I'd had her pegged as a certain type of writer. And I don't even know what that means for sure, but there are some passages in this where, you know, they're like one of the people who's trapped on the Island is an older man. And he starts talking about basically how he would welcome death at this point. Mm -hmm. And I was like, man, some of this stuff gets a lot deeper and, and maybe more, you know, it's not just on the surface, like, you know, dinner theater, murder mystery type yeah. of stuff. There's some good you know, philosophical stuff that's going on in there as well. So, but yeah, I thought that would make a few people out there uh, <laughs> happy. That is exciting. I, I just went, effective, I think it was just uh, this past week. I finally went and bought myself a copy. I've been waiting for like the perfect copy and I can't find it. Mm-hmm. So I've went and bought it so that I could read it to my older, uh, older son sometime in the next, uh, next little bit. Nice. So that's fun. Yeah. yeah so. That'll be good. That'll be, I mean, not, <laughs> not that uh, they're too directly connected, but you read them the Westing game mm, earlier yeah, this year. Yeah. I, if they enjoyed that, I could see, you know, some of that, the mystery and trying to figure the whodunit aspect being appealing. To yeah. Them. I hope so. I think they'll, I think they'll really be invested when, when it comes time to do it. Because again, mm-hmm. she just does such a good job of once you get kind of past the hurdle of knowing the characters, which always happens feels like really unnaturally fast mm-hmm. in her books. Like how do you introduce me to a cast of 10 people and I suddenly know who they are after, you know, just a 20 pages or so. It's yeah. amazing. But um, I think once you get past that, this one is so, you know, one thing after the next until, until it's done. And yeah, it's very propulsive for sure. And I mean, I'll just go ahead and open it up now. Cause I'm sure that I will want to read more. Um, you can weigh in Trevor and, and anybody who's listening, just I'll be, open to hear recommendations mm-hmm. on where to go next. Cause I know that there'll probably be differing opinions, but um, yeah, I'll, I'll definitely be reading more for sure. Nice. Nice. Well, and, and you'll have to see what your parents' favorites are, you know, yeah, I should. What, which ones Before are theirs back. that they, that they like, because they've read a lot more than me and Simon, you know, our guest a few weeks ago, mm-hmm. I know he's read a lot more than I have, but I've enjoyed most of the ones that I've read. I, the only one that I was like, I had a really hard time with that up until the time I shut the page and was like, I guess I just didn't really like that one was death in the Nile. Ah, um, I just didn't, that one was hard for me and it never really satisfied me either at the, you know, as it came to an end. Um, but other than that, I've always really enjoyed enjoyed her books. But my favorite one is the one you're you're reading mm-hmm. right now. You know, but yeah, I can see why. It's great. <laughs> well, I um I just finished a book that would apply to today's episode, 
other than I just finished it. It was Thomas Pynchon's The Crying of Lot 49. It's first Pynchon I've read. Everyone was posting about his birthday a week ago. And so I thought, you know what? Let's do this. It's a yeah. short book. It's intimidating to get into his world. I don't know if I'll understand it. I don't know if I'll like it, but let's do it. And back in 2009, um, uh, Harper uh, uh, Perennial had released a new line of books, the Olive Editions. And I don't know if you ever saw these. They're oh, just yeah. little little paperbacks um, done quite nicely. And in their first few that they released was The Bell Jar by Sylvia Plath, which is the first time I read it. I bought these two, The Bell Jar and The Crying of Lot 49. And then bizarrely to me, the third one was Fast Food Nation, oh, which I, I had read, but I'm like, what in the heck? Where are you guys <laughs> putting that out in, in this, you know, deluxe? Not deluxe. I mean, it's, it's actually, it's just a special edition, I guess. Mm -hmm. But this was 2009 that I bought this, um, this edition of the crying of lot 49 and had never, had never read it, but I finally got through it. And I think appropriately, because people have told me, well, if this weren't the case, you would have missed the point. I don't, I don't know what I just read. Mm. <laughs> and they're like, that's exactly what way to go. You, you enjoyed it. <laughs> and I did enjoy it. I found it funny and, and really interesting and, and compelling and intriguing. Um, but I'm, I'll admit, I'm not sure that it's what, you know, some people seem to read him and just fall in love. Mm -hmm. That certainly didn't happen to me, but I am, I did this one. It's never been the one that appealed to me the most. It's just the short one mm -hmm. and seemed like a good stepping stone. I am really intrigued by some of his later ones, you know, against the day. I remember when that came out, and wanting to read it, but it's, you know, a billion pages. And, right. And that, that hardback, I didn't think I could, you know, take it home in my car at the time <laughs> when it came out. Um, and then the, you know, of course, Gravity's Rainbow is one that feels like a good thing to read someday. Mm -hmm. But but at any oh, rate, Mason I'm and glad Dixon has always kind Mason of and Dixon. Thing. Yes. Mm -hmm. That's the one I have on my list of betterment because it's, it's probably the one that appeals the most to me, just mm -hmm. the, the, time period, the topics that I presume, you know, it to be about really, really appeals to me, but yeah, I, I enjoyed it and really liked the puzzling aspect of it. And I did listen to the backlisted episode on it and that was illuminating. I really enjoyed that episode. Yeah. But I've not read any of his stuff either. So that maybe you'll inspire me to pick something up from him soon. Or, or did I just inspire you not to worry about it too soon? <laughs> no, uh, I would say that yeah, <laughs> you probably just continued what I was already thinking <laughs> nothing new <laughs> yeah nothing new but i mean that's not it still continues to intrigue me but also be maybe a little off-putting you know i don't know we'll see yeah yeah but but i i will get i will continue on with him eventually mm -hmm. i think, think? <laughs> you know it's it is not stricken off of my list by any means in fact it's it's made it go like okay now i can get on and, and read some of these that i want to this book apparently was kind of a gate and i needed to open it yeah. Um, but the one that I'm most excited about that I'm reading right now is Barchester Towers by Anthony Trollope, the second one in his Chronicles of Barsetshire after The Warden, which was one of my favorite books I read last year. And Paul, I don't know if when you look at these, I, I had a lot of people who like, oh, you can read these in any order. You can do whatever you want. Just just pick mm. up one and, and read it. I don't I don't agree with that. The this, you know, I'm I'm 100 pages in or so. It's all right now, and I know it'll change. I know it'll grow and 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 develop, and and you'll get to know more characters. But it's all about Septimus Harding and Archdeacon Grantly. 
Hmm. Those two characters that we spent so much time with in the last book, they're they're still around. That's them kind of dealing with the aftermath of the warden. Hmm. And I'm thinking how, I, I guess you don't have to know the events of the warden to realize they're just, you know, that, that Septimus is a little bit, you know, feels bad about that still, but he's like thinking about it. And, and I, I just, I can't imagine reading this one without having the background of the warden in there just to get to know these characters and, and know, you know, Septimus Harding. I just, I can't imagine it, but it has been so nice to get back into that world. I have, I have loved, I've loved it, you know, from the first page again up yeah. to where I am at right now. And it, and it just feels so fun and I am excited for it to just continue to open up and expand. This one's quite a bit longer than the warden. And I'm okay with that. <laughs> You're okay with that. Yeah. Yep. Now the warden, I mean, it felt like it was the perfect length, but like, I could have kept reading in that world. And luckily we have that opportunity. So yep. uh, you're going to inspire me. I need to do that too. That's one that I definitely want to. And we've talked about, for me, I think I have the first three, but there's like this elusive chase going on where every time I'm at a used bookstore or whatever, I'm hoping to find some more, you know, but I don't think as far as I know, there, there's not really any standard issue, like the whole series in a box set that is readily available now. And I wish there was, I would love to just snatch that up, but I guess I'll have to just continue to, speaking of dusty books, hunt through all the used bookstores and dig through the pile. <laughs> well, I'm quite happy with the Oxford World's classics mm-hmm. that I finally got this one of Barchester Towers because I was holding off because of the same reason. There is a series of hardbacks that I used to could see and, and thought at the time that I bought the Warden, I have the Warden in it and thought, oh, I'll just keep getting these. And mm-hmm. I can't find those things anywhere. I can't find them at used bookstores, used places online. I just, I can't find them anymore. And so finally I thought, well, I can't let that hold me up, you know, from reading mm-hmm. uh, further into the series. And I don't know, this this p- little paperback, the Oxford World's Classics, I'm really enjoying it. I really, really like the feel of it. And I've had others that are that, that same series. Um, but I don't know, it just feels right but yeah. part of it's just the book itself i'm just so mm-hmm. happy to be to be there <laughs> yeah well, that's fun i'm well, glad that you re-entered that world me too are you planning on like is that something that i i know you read the warden and i think mm-hmm. you enjoyed it are you thinking oh i want to get on to the next one or are you like ah someday or are you like yeah that was enough no 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 i definitely want to and yeah i think that's another one I, i'm when I said earlier that we're already halfway through this year, I think I said that on a different mm-hmm. episode, but um, I'm realizing a lot of these things I keep putting back. It's like, well, if you're going to read it this year, you better get going. But no, The Warden is absolutely one that I planned on reading. Or I'm sorry, the the second one is definitely one that I planned on reading this yeah. year. So I, I want to pick it up very soon. Well, he's just got such a flair to him. It was last Sunday I was reading and it's it's Sunday in the book and these new, the new Bishop and the new, um, the new, uh, kind of, I don't know if it's an assistant or is he an archdeacon? Anyway, slope is his name gets up and gives a sermon and Trollope goes off for like two pages on, you know, the agony of having to sit and force yourself to listen to sermons. (laughs) It was so fun and so funny funny and so right as Uh well. Because he is being funny, but he's also being quite serious. Like, there's a lot of power in these people to just say a bunch of just 
dumb things that are mm-hmm. their interpretations and then they get the authority to somehow enforce things like that that you know doesn't sit well with me but um but is is something that i you know someone who who is a churchgoer and such, you know, I, I still am like, yeah, that's so relevant and true and problematic and funny and just so right. funny. <laughs> so, funny. So anyway, well, let's do our giveaway right now. If, if listeners remember, we played a trailer for a classic movie that was based on a short book by a famous author who was pretty famous for a bunch of his very short books. You know, I have, I have down on my, you know, it, it, he's down at the very bottom corner of my shelves that are in alphabetical order. Cause this is mm-hmm. Stefan Zweig and I love Zweig's work. I love his novellas. He's got a bunch of them. And this one was from Max Ophel's film letter from an unknown woman. Mm. But yeah, we definitely got some entries of people who, who really enjoyed it. And, and in fact, one from Ruth Sutton says, uh, I, I don't know how she had, um, how she figured it out, but she says the book and film are both titled letter from an unknown woman. The book is by Stefan Zweig. I've not read or seen it. Zweig has long been on my read list. And I'm like, well, how did you figure it out? Very, yeah. that's really cool. That's really yes. cool. And then the, you know, an, another one too, that from a, a few people who have seen the movie and, and loved it. And I, I do love the film and I love the book. All right. Let's get this. Let's get this on and 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 do a little drawing. Do you, did you? We've already done a drum roll in this episode for something much more important than, than this <laughs> giveaway. But another time for for giveaway, I'm going to kind of shuffle shuffle through these. Okay, the winner is Bill Martini. Congratulations! All right, congratulations, Bill. We've got an, a copy of Mrs. Palfrey at the Claremont, the very recent. Um, release from NYRB Classics, their edition of it. Not a recent release in terms of, you know, publication of the book itself, but of their edition. Uh, we will get that sent off to you. I will be in touch to get your address. Um, and congratulations, Bill. And thanks everybody for entering. We're excited to do more. I've got I've got some other ones that are, I think, going to be fun giveaways. I think you have a few, Paul, that you were mentioning. Mm-hmm. And um, again, I, I, I'm not giving you my old used books, folks. These are these are just books that that I'm excited to give people, and so we've got an extra copy of, of a few of them. One of them is the books of Jacob, by the way. I've got an extra copy of it that I want to to give out of the of the Riverside or the um, of the Riverhead edition, and you know the hardback from the U.S. that you know that one will probably have to be a U.S. only entry because that's a that's you know 40 pounds of yeah exactly (laughs) so but at any rate congratulations bill thanks again everybody for entering and we will we will get back to the show all right paul that's fun you know preliminary stuff it's yeah. about time to end the show, but I guess first we got to get to our our topic for the day. <laughs> hey, we got to uh, do what we do, right? That's right. Our dustiest books. So we each picked three books as we're wont to do, you know, three or five, depending on how we're feeling. And we want to kind of go through, maybe tell a little bit of a story as to, you know, why they're on our shelves and, you know, maybe figure out a way to deal with our guilt for neglecting them for so long. And... 
one, like I said, I, I could have put on this list was The Crying of Lot 49. Another one I could have put on the list is one that I talked about in our bucket list episode, the episode number one. That's The Black Prince by Iris Murdoch. Mm-hmm. Remember I told that story of asking my wife, you know, thinking, oh, The Black Prince sounds so good. Everybody wants it. But when <laughs> I when I actually went to ask my wife for it, I told her The Green Knight, which Iris Murdoch has also written. So that's what she bought me. And now I have both of them unread on the ah, shelf you know and yes. that's been that's been more than a, a decade ago um in fact that's been probably closer to 15 years ago now but but that's that's one that would be on this list other than i've already told that story so right well, we'll i know i had a few it. of those that i i there's more than uh enough books that are growing <laughs> dusty that i could have chosen but same thing like i was trying to think of some that might have a little bit of a story attached to them but i mean there's a few that i could just throw in real quick like um, Borges. I've never read. I've I've owned mm. Borges for years, and it's like he comes up so often. There's, I'm pretty much guaranteed to love his work, and it's like, why haven't yeah. I read this yet? Do you or, feel like you already have that relationship established, so you don't just don't need to read it? That could definitely <laughs> be part of it. It's kind of like we were talking about with Shakespeare. Like you can't be a reader without having a pretty good idea about some of these authors. So maybe it's kind of a little bit of that. I'll get to him eventually, but I already know you know the general idea. But yeah, I definitely have plenty of other ones that could have applied. Why don't you go ahead and give us whatever one's your first one? Okay. Well, before the world of book Twitter came along and I discovered all these great connections that I have with everybody now, you know, I was reliant more on book blogs like a lot of people were, including yours, Trevor. That was where I got a lot of my recommendations Mm -hmm. and ideas. And one of the more influential people early in my kind of transition to maybe more serious literature or literary fiction was John Self, who... For sure. He's yeah, the whole reason I started a blog. Really? Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. And a lot of readers, I'm sure, or a lot of listeners know who he is, but he's now a, a world-famous critic who writes for The Guardian and The Irish Times and everything. But he's just <laughs> always had such impeccable taste, and he's always been so good in uh, sparking my excitement for books. And so I was looking back, clear back in 2008, he introduced me to an author named Adam Mars Jones. And in particular, <laughs> this book called Pilcrow. And at the time, he was writing about this book and, and talking about how it was just so odd and weird, but it just kept sticking in his mind. And then a couple years later, that same author came out with this, speaking of giant books, I'm showing Trevor, I think you'd say it's Sedilla. And both of them are, um, you know, I guess, uh, what's the word for it? Not parts of speech, but um, punctuation marks. Uh, but yeah, yeah, punctuation marks or letter marks. Letter marks, yeah. And so he, around that time, 2008 to 2011 or so, it kept coming up on his his blog and it just sounds so appealing to me. I'll just read really quickly. It says, time passed slowly in the 50s, especially if you've been put to bed and told not to move until further notice. But John Cromer, the central character of this extraordinary novel, is much closer to being an explorer than a victim. He's the weakest hero in fiction, unless he's one of the strongest. And so, so it says, meet John Cromer, one of the most unusual heroes in modern fiction. If the minority is always right, then John is practically infallible. Growing up disabled and gay in the 1950s, circumstances forced John from an early age to develop an intense and vivid internal world. So, you know, just this is one that I bought and I, I was searching all over. It wasn't readily available in the mm-hmm. U.S. at the time. So I was like scouring the Internet and searching everywhere I had to have it. <laughs> Same with the second one. And I have not read either one. And the only excuse I can find is that 
At the time in 2011 where John self-interviewed the author, he said he was working on the second two books in this. It was going to be a four-book series. And so I've checked back regularly over the years. Mm -hmm. When's the third one coming out? When's it coming out? I've even talked to John about it. And as far as I can tell, this project may be dead on the vine, unfortunately, or maybe it'll come out eventually, but there has not been a peep about any third book coming out. So I think rather than waiting for the rest of the series, it might be time for me to just go ahead and, and dig in and enjoy these books after whatever it's been, you know, 10 plus years. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I think I remember when all of this is going on and I also was like, well, should I buy these books? This sounds like such a, a great series. And another one of our friends was influenced, you know, I'm not sure which name she would prefer that we, we use. So I'll just use her her pseudonym, Colette Jones, um, on online is kind of in a similar boat where she went and got him and read him and was so excited and now there's no, you know, no, not the continuation isn't there. And I've seen John Self even bring it up on Twitter over the years, years, you know, y- many times bring it up because it's been so many years mm-hmm. and that it's just not, doesn't, doesn't know if it's coming out. <laughs> I know. And it's, it's a bummer because it kind of, in some ways it kind of takes away my excitement because we've talked before, yeah. especially in the fantasy episode, how I'm you... less tempted to be honest. Like I, are you? I probably won't get to them. Like, Mm -hmm. I don't feel like, well, I guess I'll just read and enjoy what we have. I'm more like, well, I don't, but I could be, that could be just me being stupid. No, I mean, it's kind of like, you know, Gogol's Dead Souls or some of those books where you, you realize like they died while they were writing it and it just will never be finished. And Mm -hmm. and Mm it just heading into it with that knowledge is kind of, I don't know, you have to adjust your mindset for sure. So I don't know. Every time I look over at my bookshelves, I do feel a little guilt because I've owned them for so long and the level of excitement I had when I first got them was so high. But there are some some factors weighing in to, to maybe excuse mm-hmm. a little bit why I haven't done it. But I don't know. I'd still like to, to dip in one of these days. Very good. That, like I say, I've, I've been tempted to buy buy those before. And um, so those those could be on my list too, except for they're not, they're not collecting dust on my shelf, Paul. <laughs> <laughs> I think mine have enough dust for both of us. There we go. And you picked two books. So that's true. <laughs> um, I'm going to cheat just a little bit for my first one. Uh, just a little bit though. I think you'll, okay. you'll see why. And my first one is a, a science fiction book. It won the Hugo and the Nebula and it is Connie Willis's doomsday book. Um, mm. I bought this book. 2000, 2001. I don't know exactly when. I know I was in in college and I was working with some, you know, a friend at a log homes place and he loved it and told me, oh, you need to read it. And at the time I'm thinking, oh, definitely, I'm going to go and, and grab this book. So I rushed out and, and bought it and it's pretty big. You know, it's about 600 pages, and but it sounds fascinating. It still, still sounds fascinating to me. It says for Kivrin, you know, it's science fiction, so. <laughs> right, got to have Pre- a difficult name. Right. Preparing for on-site study of one of the deadliest eras in humanity's history was as simple as receiving inoculations against the diseases of the 14th century and inventing an alibi for a woman traveling alone. For her instructors in the 21st century, it meant painstaking calculations and careful monitoring of the rendezvous location where Kivrin would be retrieved. So, uh, you know, I'm gathering she is a time traveler from, you know, sometime in the future, but going back to the 14th century, 
during the plague and all of that. Mm. Um, but a crisis strangely linking past and future strands, Kivrin in a bygone era or a bygone age, as her fellows try desperately to rescue her in a time of superstition and fear, Kivrin barely of age herself finds she has become an unlikely angel of hope during one of history's darkest hours. I just mm. think that sounds fun. So I went and got it, but I never read it. And I got rid of it somewhere along the along the way. And so that's why this is a little bit of a cheat. Oh, because the book that I'm holding up right now is a repurchase that I probably did five years ago when I was listening to um, uh, Gary K. Wolf. He's uh, a science fiction um, expert. He He's the editor and kind of compiler of the Library of America um science fiction editions that I love, okay. you know, they're so great. And he also does a podcast called the Cood street podcast. And on the, the, the teaching company, I think it's called Wondrium. Now he has a whole series of lectures on science fiction. And when I was listening to that, he brought up this book again. And I thought oh, it's time. I'm going to go get it and read it. Mm-hmm. So I went and bought it again. It's cheap. It's like, what, you know, seven ninety nine for the little mass market paperback that I have. Mm-hmm. So I went and rebought a book I'd already bought and given up, you know, in the past to just collect dust again. But I, I am excited by it still. Like this time, I, I do think I'll I'll get to it, but I just don't know when. But that's that's my first book to bring up. Connie nice. Willis's Doomsday Book. I don't think I've ever even heard of that one, but it does sound very intriguing. Well, maybe now that you pulled it off the shelf for this episode, you can leave it out to kind of, you know, cause a little extra guilt instead of fitting back on the shelf. Yeah, may, maybe, maybe um, it, it'll collect dust on my desk that way. <laughs> That's right. I have some of those too. Lots of great choice. Well, my second book is actually a little bit of a cheat for some similar reasons. So I first read uh, Naguib Mahfouz, and I hope I'm saying his name correctly, back in college. Um, mm-hmm. We were assigned the book My Doc Alley. And looking back, that was actually one of my introductions to, I think, like world literature and it really opened my eyes to how exciting it can be to kind of be immersed in these other cultures and parts of the world and other you know periods of history and everything. And I remember I just I just loved that book. It's set in Cairo during the 40s. And, you know, obviously, I don't remember many of the details now, but it kind of takes a look at this little alley there in Cairo and it dips in and out of the different characters. There's like cafe owners and barbers and other people in this alley. And it was really good. So I over the years started keeping an eye out because I know that his acclaimed series is the Cairo trilogy, um, which includes Palace Walk, Palace of Desire, and Sugar Street. And so based on how much I enjoyed Madak Ali, when I was in, you know, again, used bookstores and places like that, I started trying to track them all down individually. And I think it took me, you know, years to find, I think it was especially the third one was pretty tricky for me to find. I finally got them all. Didn't read them. (laughs) And then... This is where I maybe relate a little bit to you. I was like, you know what? The Everyman edition is just so beautiful. And so I spent all that time tracking down those three separate books and ended up replacing them with this one. So they gathered dust individually, and now this one is gathering dust in a new version. Um, But yeah, I just everything about this book just sounds so appealing to me. And based on, I know he is just obviously a a world treasure, the author himself. And based on my own personal experience with his work, I know I'll love this. Um, He's a Nobel prize winner. And just quickly, it says, this is his masterwork. And it's the engrossing story of a Muslim family in Cairo during Britain's occupation of Egypt in the earliest decades of the 20th century. Uh, The novel traces three generations of this family and, Throughout the trilogy, you know, their trials apparently mirror those of the the country that's going through 
the years spanning the two world wars. So to me, that just everything mm-hmm. about this sounds wonderful. So it's a double cheat because this is not the first editions <laughs> that were gathering dust. And also this is three books in one, but if I'm showing Trevor, I mean, it is one book. It's all yeah. together. What, when <laughs> did you buy that edition? I think I bought this, this second edition, probably it's probably been five or six years ago. Okay. And I think those other ones I gathered over the course of probably at least three to five years. So cumulatively probably a decade and each one, you know, maybe five years a piece. Well, Another confession here. This shows influence, right? You know, I have that book and the Everyman Library Edition mm. that I probably bought in the same era that I bought, you know, The Crying of Lot 49 and some of the other books I'll bring up. So it very much could have been on my thing today. Had I not, it's still, I mean, you know, how books just become part of, you don't see them anymore mm-hmm. because they've been there so long. I forgot that I had, like when you said that I went and looked on, you know, I didn't go anywhere, but I, you know, I looked back on my shelf and there it is. And I just skimmed right across it when I was looking for books for this episode, but it very much could be on mine too, because I, I bought it, you know, 10, 15 years ago and have not read it yet. Have you read anything by him? I haven't. I haven't. I I mean, it shows how influential certain books can be because even though I don't remember the, the details of my doc alley very much, it clearly made such an impression on me because I have this one and I, I have at least two or three of his other books that I've just seen at used bookstores and picked up. So, you know, it's one of those where I, I need to actually start reading them. But I know our friend Stuart McAbney mm-hmm. is a big fan of his and he I've seen, I think he has, this might not be correct, but he has most, if not all of his yeah, books now. Yeah, it's an impressive collection that he posts mm-hmm. sometimes on Twitter yeah, or Instagram. Mm-hmm. So, Yeah. All right. Well, my next one is uh, is a cheat like your first one was. <laughs> um, I'm going to pull out two books that I bought at the same time by the same author. Uh, the first one is Patrick White's Voss mm. in this nice Penguin um, Classics edition, kind of a, a, an interesting cover. And then the second one is The Vivisector in a, another Penguin Classics edition with a horrific and ugly cover that just... Oh, man. I, it's disturbing. It's very disturbing. Um, Patrick White is a Nobel laureate that I really only heard about when I first started looking through the NYRB Classics catalog, maybe 2007, 2008. Uh, they published his 1962 novel, Riders in the Chariot, in mm-hmm. 2002. It's one of their earliest um, books. I still don't have that one, so it's not collecting dust on my shelf. It, However, it is on mine. It is? Okay, yeah. there you go. <laughs> um, do you remember in 2010 when the Booker Prize did the Lost Booker Prize? I do. Does that ring a bell? Yeah, it does. So back in 1970, they changed some of the rules and the rules of what is eligible. Um, and they changed it in such a way that uh, about a year's worth of books that were published in 1970 itself weren't ever eligible to win a Booker Prize. You know, it started a few years prior. So you have books from 69, you know, 68, and then nothing in 70, you know, that, that some, some of these books that were published in 1970. That's when The Vivisector by Patrick White was published. And so it was a shortlist for the, the lost Booker Prize that they did in 2010. And I went and bought several of those books and I read the winner, which was J.G. Farrell's Troubles from 1970. But I also rushed out to buy both the vivisector because it's the one on the list and Voss because it actually appeals to me even more. And I, 
you know, I remember going over to Borders from, I was at work, you know, in, in downtown Manhattan at the time. And I went over to the Borders and got them both. And here they are. In fact, this, the Vivisector has the, uh, has my receipt. Oh, cool. <laughs> so I, I bought that. this March 27th of 2010. There we are. Yep. It's almost exactly 12 years. <laughs> Oh, and it looks like I actually got the place wrong. I bought this at a at a bookstore called Words in in Maple Maplewood, New Jersey, hmm. not in downtown Manhattan. I, I guess I I'm misremembering that how that happens, but yeah, that's does. kind of fun to have the receipt in there. I knew I bought them at that same you know time period, um, but yes, there they are, Patrick White, Nobel laureate, very cool. similar to your last one, I guess, with uh, Mafuz, but uh, never read. <laughs> that's funny. Just what you said right now about memory is interesting because one thing that I was doing when I was looking for this episode was trying to figure out when I bought some of these books. And before I, you know, nowadays I, I try to avoid Amazon as much as I can, but when in the early two thousands, mm-hmm. we definitely got a lot of our books through there and the history will still show you all of your purchases clear back. Yeah. So I was looking back at our Amazon history of just some of the books we bought and it was really fascinating to see. Oh, I should have done that too. That would be wow. interesting. Well, the first books that I saw that we bought when my wife and I were first married was the first four books in the Harry Potter trilogy. That was the mm-hmm. first order that I ever saw on Amazon. And it was at the very beginning of 2001. But um, what I thought was interesting about some of the clusters of orders was some of the books that I bought at the time, maybe I bought five or six books at a time. One or two of them I read immediately. Mm-hmm. Two or three of them I still have and I've never read or they've long since disappeared. But also what was interesting is like, I never would have pictured that I bought some of these books at the same time. Hmm. It's just weird how your memory works. Like some of them, it was like, oh, that one I probably have had for 15 years. I think I bought that one maybe like five years ago. No, I bought them at the exact same time. And it's just, <laughs> it's really interesting how looking back on some of these things, like whether books you've read around the same time or purchased around the same time, don't have the same impression on on me at least. So that yeah. was kind of fun just to you do. You have to do that and see, yeah. see what they are. Interesting. Yeah. I like it that. It's fun. Well, speaking right. of early marriage days for me and my wife, um, when we first got married and actually maybe even before we got married, um, my mother-in-law had a copy of Moby Dick that was in the Easton press edition. And it was this leather bound, mm. you know, they're, they're nice books. I yeah. really like them. Um, and she had that. And so to me at that time, we didn't have much money and it was like the height of luxury. I was just in awe of this book, you know, it had the gold leaf and it had the ribbon bookmark and everything. And so I saved up my money and my wife has always been a big fan of Claude Monet. And so one Christmas I saved up my money and ordered this really nice Claude Monet from the Easton press that had all the, you know, really nice reproductions of his art and, and some, you know, lots of uh, history and different things like that. And that inspired us in our early days as we were not, you know, we didn't have much money, but we decided we would try to do Easton press has this series called the hundred greatest books ever written. And so to subscribe to this, you're supposed to do one a month, but each one of these books is like 40 or 50 bucks. And we're like, we can't afford 40 or 50 Mm -hmm. bucks. So we talked them into letting us do two per year. And that was in probably 2001 that we first started doing that. And we've been doing it ever since. And it's been really cool to just watch them grow on our shelves. And it's kind of like this visible um, way to track like how long we've been married. And it has all these good memories associated with it. So that's my long-winded way of saying one of those books, though, that we got early in that process that has been sitting up on my shelf is this one. It's The Red and the Black by Stendhal. And 
this is one that every time I look up there, I'm like, I really want to read that book. Everything I've ever heard about it is so fascinating. And despite that, you know, there's plenty of these Easton Press books that we've accumulated that I have not yet read. But this one is the one that keeps calling out to me. Um, so I'll just read real quickly. It's a historical psychological novel that's in two volumes. And it chronicles the attempts of a provincial young man to rise socially beyond his modest upbringing through a combination of talent, hard work, deception, and hypocrisy. So it just sounds really good to me. It's always been one that's called out to me. But for some reason, I've yet to pull it off the shelf. I don't know if I'm a little intimidated or or what the deal is. I was already ready to kind of brush the dust off this sucker and start digging in. But <laughs> that might be another one that I'm going to move up on the pile. So that that's my third one, the red and black, nice. red and the black. I haven't read that one yet either. And I think I have a copy too. All right. Well, my last one that I'm going to bring up today, speaking of Stuart, I bought this because of him. Um, I read The Name of the Rose by Umberto Eco in 2004, 2005, sometime around there. And I really liked it. I thought it was great. Really loved the mystery, really loved the the topics and the content. In fact, I think I brought it up a few episodes ago because of it in our books about books. Uh, but I knew about his other work and I knew he wrote one called Foucault's Pendulum. But I never really looked into it. And then in the comment section of one of my earliest book blog posts, so it would have been 2008, 2009, Stuart uh, said, well, you've, you've got to read Foucault's Pendulum. You know, that's that's actually even better. And others echoed his recommendation. When I looked into it, I thought, that does sound like just something I want to read. You know, that sounds mysterious. It sounds fun. Um it, it just sounds so cool. A coded message about a centuries-old Knights Templar plan to trap a mystic source of power greater than atomic energy. I mean, goodness, <laughs> that just, you know, I, I love this. Um, <laughs> you know, it's just Rosicrucians, the Great Pyramid. I mean, it sounds like so much conspiracy theory nuttiness mm-hmm. that I kind of like in, in the hands of, of someone like maybe Echo. So I quickly went out and bought the book. I think I w- it was around October because I thought, oh, I'll read this. It'll be great for this time of year, you know, Halloween and you know, just the fall in general. And of the books I have on this list, it's the one I have most often pulled off the shelf thinking, okay, the time has come. Mm-hmm. So it's maybe not as dusty, but not because it hasn't been owned as long, just because I do remove it often. But I put it back because something else takes precedence. I, I think I'm kind of intimidated by it to an extent, you know, and maybe part of that's because when you do lose that initial flame, it can feel intimidating to get back into something, Mm -hmm. even if it's not because you're scared of the book. Like it's not like, it's not like Finnegan's wake or something, but I don't know what it is, but that's my, my other dustiest book on here that I can't believe I haven't read it yet, (laughs) but it's collecting, collecting that dust for, for years now. So that'd be, That'd be about 13 years or so that I've had that book on my shelf. Yeah. He could have been probably on my list too, because I have that one and I actually have the name of the Rose, both of which I've owned for Uh years and years and haven't (laughs) read. And then I have a third one by him, the Island of the day before, which I haven't read, Mm -hmm. but of the three, she read that one and actually really loved it. The Island of the day before. So every time I hear somebody talk about him, I'm like, why have I not read him yet? Yeah. I'd be curious if your response to, you know, the only one I've read is the name of the Rose and I, Really enjoyed it. Just, yeah. you know, well-written, creepy, somewhat bizarre. Mm-hmm. And Aristotle and monks with their books and all that. It was it was fun. Oh, it, it really appeals to me. I don't know if there was like some 
not that I'm comparing the two, but some Dan, Dan Brown uh, backlash, like when all of his like <laughs> conspiracies and all this yeah. like weird religious symbolism and everything came out. If I was kind of like, eh, I'm not gonna <laughs> Umberto Echo, what a cash grab. <laughs> yeah, no, definitely. Like I said, it's a very thin connection, but I don't know if that's part of the reason why maybe I avoided him for a while. Just kind of like that was in the you know in the not the news but just in the zeitgeist for a while there but i don't Mm -hmm. know but yeah that's a great one i would like to read that one too oh well and yet here we are you know at the end of another episode a weekend before us i know you're really busy and hopefully you get some time to read and and we always i always sit here and think well i wish that i could go and read every one of these that we've brought up today you know, know, starting today, there were no other worries or things going on, exactly. but not only that, we have assigned ourselves other reading for the next episode. Yeah. <laughs> uh, if you remember right listeners in our last episode on short books, we, we prepared for, we, our next episode is going to be the assigned reading that we did in there where both Paul and I picked a short book to assign. And, and I have read yours, Paul, I've read uh, Mauro Javier Cardenas's uh, aphasia. Um, and I, I need to, I, I kind of put aside Jean Giono's Enemonde when, when you signed that one, because I thought, well, I'm going to greet his first mm-hmm. and then I'll get back to Enemonde, which is translated by Bill Johnston. And, uh, I, so I'll be starting that one today for sure, because I got to be prepared for next or, you know, for two weeks from now when mm-hmm. we record that episode. Yeah. But how's that going for you, by the way? You don't, I don't think we should tell each other our thoughts or feelings quite right. yet, but if you, if you managed to make it through, I did uh, the same thing. Yeah, I read Aphasia first because I I don't know if part of it was yours is much slimmer. Neither one is very big because we both picked fairly short books. Mm-hmm. But I think I was wanting to make sure that I got the the bigger of the two done. Yeah, you know, not as an assignment, but just to make sure that I had some time to kind of mull it over. So yeah, I'm going to do the same thing. I'm going to pick up your choice here in the next couple of days and start digging in. But yeah. Well, and if we do it by page count or not page count, they're probably fairly similar. Yours is a bit longer, but if we do it by word count. Yours is probably five times longer than Nemonde. <laughs> I know. And potentially based on um, how, I don't mean this in a bad way, and we won't get too much into it, but that book is, is takes yeah. some work for sure. Yes, for sure. For sure. Absolutely. Uh, it, it is it is a dense little little thing with no mm-hmm. real periods in, oh. in just these big blocks of, of paragraphs. And so, mm-hmm. yeah, I'm excited to have that conversation next time. I am too. Uh, Good luck on the the last part of that reading in Emonde. Um, I have not read it yet, so we'll. I, I hope we both like it. <laughs> we'll know here soon. I, I bet we will. But yeah, I'm looking forward to that one. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks everybody. Thank you, Paul. Um, again, I know you've got some busy time, so good luck with all of that. Thank and you. I look forward to talking with you here in a couple of weeks. Absolutely. Thanks. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Mooks and the Gripes podcast. You can follow the Mooks and the Gripes and get show notes and book and film reviews at mooksandgripes.com. On Twitter, you can find Trevor at Mooks and Paul at BiblioPaul. You can also get information about future shows on our Patreon. If you'd like to donate to the show, anything and everything, even a dollar a month, helps and is deeply appreciated. You can become a patron at patreon.com mooks. Until next time.